Do I invest in someone or should I let them go? Are we migrating to the new system or do we keep using what we have? Many of the questions that we pose to others and ourselves are framed this way as either ors. In this episode, how to move beyond either or to do better at solving the toughest problems. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 612. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Leaders, of course, are always solving problems, addressing problems in a way that hopefully helps us to look at things holistically to make the best choice for ourselves and for our organizations. And how do we do it in a way that is most helpful, especially when we get into those toughest situations? Today, I'm so glad to welcome an expert that will help us to navigate solving the toughest problems. I'm so pleased to introduce to you Wendy Smith. She is the Dana J. Johnson Professor of Management and Faculty Director of the Women's Leadership Initiative at the Lerner College of Business and Economics at the University of Delaware. She earned her PhD in Organizational Behavior at Harvard Business School, where she began her intensive research on strategic paradoxes, how leaders and senior teams effectively respond to contradictory yet interdependent demands. She received the Web of Science Highly Cited Research Award for being among the top 1% most cited researchers in her field, and received the Decade Award from the Academy of Management Review for the most cited paper in the past 10 years. Her work has been published in such journals as the Academy of Management Journal, Administrative Science Quarterly, Harvard Business Review, Organization Science, and Management Science. She has taught at the University of Delaware, Harvard, and Wharton, while helping senior leaders and middle managers all over the world address issues of interpersonal dynamics, team performance, organizational change, and innovation. She is the author with Marianne Lewis of Both and Thinking, Embracing Creative Tensions to Solve Your Toughest Problems. Wendy, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Dave, thanks for having me. How did you get into this work of looking at paradox and solving the toughest problems? You know, I started with this work when I was studying and doing research for my PhD. I was studying how senior leaders at IBM navigated the innovation challenge of moving into cloud computing. And so it was the late 1990s, early 2000s. IBM senior leaders felt a lot of pain, crushing pain, because the organization had just lost the innovation wars when it came to moving into the microcomputer just less than a decade earlier. And now they were faced with a whole new innovation challenge. And I was studying how the top management teams of all of their strategic business units were living into this challenge of innovating for the future, for creating what we now know as web-based computing and cloud computing, while still trying to manage for their existing world. And they were navigating what so many large organizations and so many leaders face, which is this tension between today and tomorrow, between stability and change, between the short term and the long term, or being operationally efficient while innovating and experimenting and trying new things. And what I saw was a real sense of a tug of war between 
those two realities between the reality of today and the reality of tomorrow and was watching how these senior leaders manage that real emotional tension. You cite one of my favorite poets in the book, Robert Frost, and I have a line from The Road Not Taken in my closet of all places, and so I see it every morning. And the poem, of course, I know many people know, and it ends with these two lines. I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And I think about that poem and how we tend to think about the forks in the road in our lives, in our organizations, the decisions we need to make, and we think about them as either or, this path or that one. And I I think it's interesting, the line that I highlighted in the book right after that is, stressing only one side of a paradox oversimplifies and narrows our options. Tell me more about that. That's right. So we love Robert Frost, and we think that perhaps it's a little constraining. The assumption is is that there's two paths in the woods, and we have to choose one. And indeed, there's inspiration to choose the one that is less traveled by. In the case of IBM, that would be make sure that you are innovating, that you're not stuck in your existing world. Well, the question that we ask is why just feel constrained by these two paths? Or sometimes what we will say to people is that when given the choice between A and B, maybe the right answer is C. And that C is looking at what is it about A that I love, the path, the well-trod path? What is it about B that I'm intrigued by, this novel path? Is there a way to think about both? Or in the case of IBM, how do we think about what we've always been doing and continuing to operationally be effective and all of the inertia there. How do we think about the new customers, the new possibilities? Do we have to make a choice of just one or the other? How can we accommodate both in order to come to a better outcome? It makes so much sense. And I have seen so many examples where being able to look at the both and is so helpful and opens up new opportunities. And yet, I find myself falling into either or thinking all the time. And I see it in the leaders we work with, Wendy. We In our academy sessions, it regularly comes up. Situations, problems get framed as either or. And the questions being asked around those problems of our other members are then framed in the either or context. What is it that pulls us into either or so much? Dave, you're in good company. I do it all the time. We see it all over the place. It's pervasive, this either or thinking, in part because it's natural. It feels more comfortable and it helps us to resolve issues in the short term. So we as a society fall into either or because leaving open We face either or issues when there's a tension, a challenge, an issue, often when there's competing possibilities. Leaving open those possibilities opens up so much uncertainty. Now, uncertainty unto itself is not a bad thing. In fact, uncertainty can, living into uncertainty can lead to creativity. And uncertainty is also associated with a lot of anxiety of what may be and a lot of fear 
and a lot. And, and that kind of fear and anxiety we want to often get rid of as quickly as possible. And the way to do that is to make a clear decision. And the other thing that we need to do or that we tend to do is that once we've made a clear decision, we tend to stick with that decision. We want to be consistent. People around us expect us to be consistent. And there is so much research in psychology that shows us just how much we want to for the sake of control, to diminish our fears, make that decision and stick with it. And if we want to really feel just how poignant that is, we can remember going back or we, we can all go back to March 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic when there was so much uncertainty. That uncertainty had consequential outcomes. There was a tremendous amount of fear. And the thing so many of us wanted to do was to have clear answers to questions like, mask or don't mask, vaccines or not vaccines, to stay inside or not stay inside or go outside. And just how much fear there was and how much desire we had to make choices amid that fear. So it's a natural approach. And it feels better in the short term to make a clear decision, right? As you said, but it 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 just limits us in the long term, the, the creativity, the innovation, the options, like you said. And so if we can the more we can get aware of this, but also like have a process to follow to lean a little bit more on the both and probably helpful for us in the long run of making hopefully better decisions and framing things more effectively. And one of the things that you suggest is when facing a question that may look like an either or, and you give the example in the book of like the classic, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> of I have an opportunity somewhere else or something's come up as a career move. And you invite folks to think about it from this framework first of defining the dilemma first. What does defining the dilemma sound like? Yeah. So the reason we wrote this book is partially because we had over the last 20 years, there has been this movement where people have realized that either or is limited at best and detrimental at worst, as we say, and have started to talk about moving into the both and. And so now the question is, how do we do it? So the first step is to recognize that our challenges in the world pop up to us as dilemmas. And by dilemmas, we mean these choices that come to us that beg us for a solution, beg us for an answer. So in the case of a career decision, as you're pointing out, should I stay? I am given an opportunity to for a new job. It's a great opportunity, but I love what I do. Should I stay or should I go? That feels like a really clear either or because I can't take both jobs at once. Right. And so the first piece is that's the dilemma that we're experiencing in the moment. But what we say or what we encourage people to do is to pause before answering that because the answer, stay or go, is a clear either or approach. And what we encourage people to do is to pause and to notice that underlying that choice, that dilemma, that forced expectation for an answer are these underlying paradoxical tensions. And if we notice those, that will start us down the path to a more creative decision. You do make a distinction in your work between dilemma and paradox. They are different. What's the difference between them? And why is it helpful to think about them as two different concepts? Yes. And, and much of this actually emerged for me as I was studying these IBM teams. People will often say to us, is there a difference between a dilemma and a paradox? And what we would argue is that the same issue shows up at different levels as a dilemma and a paradox. And what I mean by that is that 
the tensions show up for us as dilemmas in either or choices. We really only see them at moments where it feels like we have to make a decision. So at IBM, the dilemmas that they felt were things like, how should I allocate my R&D team, my engineers? Should I put more of them on the existing product or more of them on the innovation? How should I structure my senior team? How should I think about my sales team? So those are the dilemmas because those are the moments that these tensions show up for us. Mm. What we argue is that paradoxes underlie these dilemmas. These are tensions that never go away. And what we suggest is that looking at those paradoxes and noticing, number one, that they are oppositional. Number two, the oppositional pieces are interdependent so that the long-term actually informs the short-term and that they're interdependent and that they persist helps us to rethink our dilemmas and our decisions in our dilemmas. Marianne, and you write, the most basic and powerful tool to start navigating paradoxes is to change the question. What's so critical about changing the question we're asking? We like to cite the psychologist Paul Watzlawick, who says, the problem is not the problem. The problem is the way we think about the problem. Uh And as soon, and so changing the question is the entry point into both and thinking, into appreciating paradox, because it opens up a whole new potential landscape for outcomes. So if we go back to this question, this career question, the the shift of question is not, should I stay or should I go? It's the impossible question of how can I stay and go? Now that does sound impossible. And if we go to really deepening our thinking about it, we can invite ourselves to think in a different way about what is it that I love about staying? What is it that I'm interested in about going? Are there ways to combine or think about both of those in relationship to one another? I find that we, especially something like a career change, as we're we're mentioning, it's so hard to think about it any differently than in either or, because obviously we can't have two jobs at the same time, right? And yet, it's easy to see it in someone else. Like, what, what, what might be the way that you do a little bit of both and and to navigate it? Why is it so much easier to see it when it's, <laughs> when it's not ourselves? <laughs> it's so true. Dave, I'll just give you an example of that or reinforce that point. I often will do workshops with leaders or different companies. And what I would do is I would invite people to think about their own tensions or tug of wars that they were experiencing. And those ran the gamut from they've got competing demands from different leaders in the organizations, or they're thinking about being heads down and getting their work done or heads up and thinking about learning new possibilities or work-life issues often came up. And in any case, I would then turn to a collective issue. We would work through it. We would explore both and they would really get the concept. And I would invite them to go back to their own dilemmas. And as soon as they did, they shut down and weren't able to think about both and. And I realized that in order to get them to think about both and, I had to do something more of a pair and share, turn to their partner, share their dilemmas and share with one another the possibility of a both and. And that's when they could dislodge themselves from their either or thinking. And I think the reason why, to your question, there's several reasons why. One big reason is to recognize just how emotional 
these either ors can be, that we often feel a lot of discomfort in thinking about things in alternative ways because of our expectations from others and ourselves to be consistent, because we see our identities as consistent, because we get stuck. Part of the either or experience is that we tend to take a point of view and then get stuck in what we call a rabbit hole. We reinforce that point of view over and over again. We can't even possibly see the other side. And therefore, and it gets emotional in trying to, or uncomfortable in trying to live into what feels like inconsistency, opposite sides of the same time. Part of what we argue in the book is that in order to engage with paradox. We can't deny or reject that it's uncomfortable. We just have to be able to move forward amid that sense of discomfort, defensiveness, resistance, reaction that comes up. I'm hearing two big things in what you just said. One of them is just the, I don't know if we want to call it a truth or reality, that as savvy as we might be in thinking both and at an intellectual level, of knowing that when we get into situations where we're solving tough problems, we're likely to default to an either-or thinking. You mentioned doing that yourself as as many years as you've researched it. I catch myself doing it all the time, too. Like Just knowing that, I think, is helpful because then the second piece of that is the perhaps obvious invitation of getting someone else in the conversation at that point to point out to you where are the both ends? And almost like assuming that I'm going to look at it from an either or and inviting someone else in who's maybe not doesn't have that emotional connection and is going to be more likely and maybe even us saying like, hey, I know I should be looking at this from a both and perspective and I probably am not to invite that conversation because they're going to be better at seeing it than we are. I think that's absolutely true. And another side of this or to extend that Some of those either ors happen in these kinds of decisions, like should I stay or should I go? How should I think about my career? How should I think about work life? How should I think about the dilemmas in my life? The other place is that these kinds of either ors happen when I take a point of view and then somebody else takes an oppositional point of view Mm. and we get stuck into our into each of our individual point of views. And in conversation with one another, we only become more combative or more stubborn in the way that we behave. We talk about that kind of pattern, that vicious cycle, that pit of either or as trench warfare, where each side digs its own trench deeper and deeper, surrounding themselves with other people that share their point of view and firing out at the other side without really engaging, acknowledging, or understanding. And this happens all the time in organizations as well, where we see tensions between the finance people and the R&D people, or the tensions that happen between those that are emphasizing more sustainability and those that are emphasizing more short-term profits, or the people that are focusing on doing a deeper, focusing on depth in, in a particular location, and those that are focusing on breadth and expand it, whatever it might be. And in those situations, the emotional discomfort comes up as well, because as soon as we put out a point of view and assume that we're right, if somebody else puts out an alternative point of view, we assume that they must be wrong and that they're threatening our rightness and we become defensive. And then we get into that kind of polarized either or right-wrong approach. And so there's another side of both anding, which is also the invitation to see where we get into these kinds of polarized discussions, pause, and be able to acknowledge that there could be a right and a right 
that if, even if somebody has a different point of view than us, they don't have to be wrong and we can stop and listen to what they have to say, even if we don't agree with them and recognize, honor, respect, and try and accommodate their point of view. You've done so much of this work over the years with leaders and teams, and I imagine you've walked into many situations and organizations where it is very much that trench warfare has been the norm for a while on whatever the issue is of the day. When you see that and you recognize that, and the organization is smart enough to know, like, okay, we're not we're not being productive, what is the starting point that helps the people involved to take a step back and to start looking at things from a little bit more of the both-and perspective? Radical listening. And what I mean by that is inviting people to hear each other's point of view as a starting point. You know, it's funny, I was once on an airplane and I was telling somebody about the work that I do. And it turns out that this person was a circus manager. And for the next rest of the entire airplane ride, I heard about these ongoing tensions between the elephant trainers and the acrobats and all of the performers and the administrators. And you could just imagine that the elephant performer and the administrator tension plays itself out in every workplace because everybody always has a particular point of view. And we tend to sort of get stuck in or or reinforce our point of view. Radical listening starts with understanding that there are different points of view. And perhaps if we listen to these different points of view, again, listening does not mean agreeing. It means honoring the other person and respecting their point of view enough to stop and understand it. Stopping to understand gives us that sense that there is a bigger picture out there. As an example of this, we use the parable of the blind people and the elephant. Do you know this one? Oh, yeah. I remember that from the book. The idea is that it's an old Hindu, although it's now been attributed to several different religions, parable where blind people, blind men, blind people approach an elephant, all want to know what this being is in front of them. They all put their hands on different parts of the elephant and therefore assume that they are experiencing something different. So the person who puts their hands on the leg thinks that this is a tree trunk and the person who puts their hands on its husks thinks it's a spear and the person who puts their hands on the tail thinks it's a swing. And then they get into conflict about what they have experienced because they've only experienced one part of the elephant. And the underlying idea is that instead of, if they instead shared the parts that they experienced and then thought about the integration across these different parts, they could come to the more holistic integrated view, which is that it's an elephant. The same is true in our workplaces, that we have different roles, different perspectives, different ideas, different values. And if we can listen to one another and understand where each other are coming from, we will come to a better and more integrative approach overall. Comes right back to radical listening, doesn't it? If we start there, then that uh, that gives us the opportunity, at least opens the door to then look at things differently. And that actually leads me to one of the other invitations you make is the invitation to analyze the data in, in, in making tough decisions through separating and connecting. And I, I, traditionally, we tend to pull apart options and we analyze pros and cons. We've heard about people doing that. Many of us have done it, a pros and cons list of making a tough decision. And you invite us to do separating and connecting instead. What is it and what's better about that? 
Yes. So if we go back to the example that we were using about career decisions, so do I stay with my current job or do I take this new opportunity? I feel like I'm in the tug of war. That's the dilemma. Changing the question is, how can I both stay and go? Well, I'm going to have to make a decision about what I'm going to do. So so what is the way to get to a better option? Can I identify the underlying paradoxes? Well, the, the way to get there is to start with this idea of pulling apart the different options and really understanding each one, separating. So sometimes when people think about both and, they think about this ideal integration. The only way to get to an ideal integration or a way of seeing a better option is by knowing what's at stake with each option. This is this is kind of a heart of those who've studied negotiations. A better negotiation is doing a deeper dive into what each party cares about. So in this case of our personal decisions, what is it about staying that I really care about? I care about loyalty to my team. I care about finishing off a project. I care about the people that I work with are so great. What is it about going and moving to somewhere else that I care about? Well, maybe it's about a new adventure. Maybe it's a a better position that I'm excited to move into. Maybe it is a bigger salary. Okay, well, how can I then make sure that I am loyal to my team and be able to accommodate a new adventure? Or how can I stay committed to the people that I am, that I love on my current team and move? Well, that then invites us to think about once I've done that separation, then I can ask, how can I do both? That's the point of connection where I can come to a different alternative possibility of what it means to move forward. Well, maybe I move into my new position, but I take some of the great people that I have loved working with along with me. Well, maybe instead of moving immediately, I I negotiate some time before the move so that I can finish off and feel really committed to the project that we've all started and make sure that there's a great leader for my existing team so I don't feel like I'm leaving them without any support. Well, maybe there's another alternative where, you know, I really love this new job, but I want to stay with my current company because I've loved them so much. So I take this new job opportunity to my leaders and figure out how I can negotiate a better position within my current company. All of a sudden, we're opening up a whole new set of possibilities that connect what's valuable to me about staying and what's valuable to me about going. Mm. And if I haven't gone down that set of analyses and just say, yes or no, stay or go, I've lost the richness of possibilities of being able to accommodate the value of each one of these different options. I love the example in the book of one of the folks you profile too of moving into a new role, 80%, and staying with the previous role for one day a week for a period of, I remember, forget what it was, three months or six months in order to finish a project and like how that worked out so beautifully. And that's the kind of thing that you don't end up getting there if you're thinking about it from either or. But if you're looking at it from separating and connecting, then all of a sudden you think like, okay, what's really important here for me, for each party? And if I get there first, that opens up possibility. And one of the other tactics, two tactics that really caught my attention in your work is the the invitation to move up a level and also to move down a level in thinking about this. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I love that. I first came across this idea through work with one of my PhD advisors, Ellen Langer. Ellen Langer is a brilliant social psychologist at Harvard University and has a book, Mindfulness. And she would always remind us that we get stuck in thinking about things in the same way all the time, and that minimizes our creativity. 
And so moving up a level is thinking about sort of the broader picture of how these competing demands come together. In the context of our career decision, moving up a level would be saying to ourselves, okay, what is our overarching long-term goal that we want to accomplish and how will staying and going or how will our decision about our career inform that bigger picture long-term goal along the way? So maybe our long-term goal is that we want to be able to leave a legacy to our children in some way. And then the question of, well, how does staying and going inform that? Oftentimes this higher purpose overarching vision is incredibly useful at the organizational level or at the group level for leaders to remind their people why competing demands are necessary in their group. And so when I studied IBM, for example, the best leaders that we're navigating for today and tomorrow consistently reminded their people of this bigger term, longer picture goal of where they wanted to be as an organization and why they needed to continue to sustain their relationships with their current customers to get there and at the same time innovate. Or as another example, we studied Paul Pullman, who was the CEO of Unilever from 2008 till 2018, who implemented an incredibly radical sustainable living plan that doubled their company's performance through a commitment to, not despite, but through a commitment to environmental and social missions, through a commitment to making a difference in the world. And he would always say, I had to keep coming back to their overarching purpose of our organization of making sustainable living commonplace that's why we're living into these tensions is in that bigger picture. And so that's the going up a level. The going down a level is what we just talked about, which is moving from the initial decision, stay or go, to doing a deeper dive, separating each one out and understanding what each one is about, what what we uh, care about in each one in service of finding those points of connection. Yeah, it's it's moving up a level to frame the bigger picture, right? Because it's otherwise it's just so easy to get in the 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 challenge of the day and to get fixated on it, whatever it is. Speaking of getting fixated, there's a distinction in wording. I'm mean, not even wording, but just a version of a word that you use in outcomes, and you do make a, a distinction between making a choice and choosing. I was wondering right. if you could tell us those sound really similar in a way, but they are different. They're quite different. We talk about the importance of being dynamic when navigating competing demands. And and what we mean, here's what we mean by that. And this too goes back to the IBM study. When I started to study how IBM leaders navigated today and tomorrow, their existing product and their innovations, I was expecting that the best leaders who were really changing the questions and uh, engaging with paradox and adopting both and would come up with these brilliant, creative, integrative win-wins that there was this, we, we talk about that as the mule, the, the ideal 3,000-year-old hybrid between the horse and the donkey, smarter than the donkey, stronger than the horse, you know, this, this ideal hybrid. Yeah. And I found that they sometimes found these moments where the existing product and innovation came together in a win-win, and those were really infrequent. And that instead, what both anding looked like in their world was making, I, I called it at the time, dynamic decision-making, or we talk about it as being consistently inconsistent. And what we mean by that is that 
that we reframe both and from the momentary choice or the momentary decision in the moment to to thinking about a set of choices over time that make micro shifts between the alternative options. And and we use the metaphor of the tightrope walker here because if you think about a tightrope walker, they are moving forward. They're not stuck. They're looking out to the horizon at a far off point that they want to get to. They're never fully balanced on the tightrope. They're constantly balancing, which means that they're making these small tweaks left and right in order to stay on the tightrope. Now, they're not over tweaking to the left or over emphasizing to the right because then they'll fall over, but they are kind of making these ongoing tweaks. And in the context of decision making, what that looks like is sometimes the IBM leaders were putting more resources into their innovation. Sometimes they were putting more resources into advancing their existing product and current customers. And they were making these tweaks back and forth, but they weren't stuck in decisions that were just focused on one horizon, one product in in one time horizon or the other. They were moving between them. And that kind of is, is what we talk about as balancing or choosing over time, where over time we accommodate the competing demands. But in the moment, in each of those momentary dilemmas that pop up, we might be making a choice to focus somewhat on one or the other. I just had a conversation with a colleague in Portugal who's studying how companies manage to be green. And so too, what she finds is that environmental performance means sometimes the decisions are more environmentally sound. Sometimes they might be more profit-oriented, but it's not only one or the other. It's constantly living in that space between those decisions and not going too far to either side so that they are completely rejecting, polluting, diminishing the environment, or completely focusing on their environmental performance that their profits are suffering. I so appreciate your example. I'm noticing how many times the word and has come up in this conversation. What a wonderful invitation that is for us for just thinking about how we frame things a bit differently. Wendy Smith is the author with Marianne Lewis of Both And Thinking, Embracing Creative Tensions to Solve Your Toughest Problems. Wendy, thank you so much. Thank you, David. What a great conversation. If this conversation was helpful, several related episodes I'd recommend to you. One of them is episode 454, How to Ask Better Questions. David Marquet was my guest on that episode, the best-selling author of the book Turn the Ship Around, also the book Leadership is Language. In that conversation, David warns us about the sins of questioning. And guess what? One of them is asking binary questions, either-or questions. We can do way better at asking questions that aren't binary and also in many other ways. Episode 454, we explore that in detail. I'd also recommend episode 550, How to Win the Long Game When the Short Term Seems Bleak. Dory Clark was my guest on that episode, and we talked about playing the long game, and she made the point in that conversation of how do you win even when you lose, of thinking about the big picture, as of course we talked about in this conversation. I'd also recommend episode 559, The Leadership Struggles We See. Muriel Wilkins was my guest on that episode. Muriel is the host of Harvard Business Review's Coaching Real Leaders podcast, and in that conversation, Muriel and I talked about some of the common struggles we see 
guess what? One of them is binary thinking. Uh, We talk in detail about that at the beginning of that episode. Again, that's episode 559, along with several other struggles we see, of course. And then finally, episode 607, also recommended, How to Quit Bad Stuff Faster, my recent conversation with Annie Duke. We do tend to go down the path that once we've started something, we need to stick with it forever. Annie says, not so. That lie, (laughs) that winners never quit. It's not true. And we talk in episode 607 on some of the key things we can do to quit when it's not the right path for us or our team or our organization going forward. Episode 607 for that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to the entire episode library, searchable by topic, my weekly leadership guide, the free audio courses, and my interview and book notes. Just about every conversation I have, as I did with today's conversation with Wendy, I am recording my interview notes. I'm also highlighting some of the key passages I found in books by authors that sometimes are mentioned during the conversation. Often we don't get to all of them, and we don't get to all the questions I've planned for conversations either. But you can find all of them inside of my interview and book notes. It's a single PDF that you can download after every episode. It's available to all our free members. The download for this conversation is available in the episode notes as well as all of the past ones. If you register for the free membership, you can just look at interview and book notes in the menus there. You can track down almost all of the books that we've had on in recent years. All of that, just one part of the benefits that you get out of free membership. Again, coachingforleaders.com for all the details on getting started. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Jennifer Garvey Berger to the show. She will be helping us improve leadership through experimentation. Join me for that conversation with Jennifer. Have a great week, and I'll see you back on Monday.